This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Okay, let's kick things off on a Thursday. It is Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers along with you. Glad to have you back, Mr. Vickers. How was the golf course yesterday, sir? She was a little windy. She was a little unforgiving. But bad day on the course is better than a good day at work. Is that the uh, overused cliche that isn't necessarily troll time? Can I just talk about how... Sounds like a girl I dated once. (laughs) Oh, windy and unforgiving. There's about seven layers of jokes to unpack there that none are fit to air. I was just going to reference the fact that golf is the worst sport in the history of time, only because you can have the best round of your life and immediately want to go back the next day, and you can have the worst round of your life and immediately go back the next day. It's the biggest scam in sports, and I love it. Uh, Glad to have you back, though. Back for the next three hours here on Sportsnet 960, and we got a show for you today. MLB trade deadline is approaching. Adnan Verk will join us this hour. Shohei Otani off the market. Angels are keeping them. They're going to make a run for the postseason. We'll chat uh, with Adnan about that and more. Perhaps what the Blue Jays can muster up with the trade deadline for a big win in the series win against the LA Dodgers on Wednesday. Our NHL offseason in review continues. We'll dive into the Dallas Stars with Bruce Levine and recently re-upping with the Calgary Wranglers for another season. Captain Brett Sutter joins us this afternoon. Crossed the thousand game plateau last year. Returned seemingly full circle for his moment in Calgary, but back again so excited to chat with the Wranglers captain to see what he's got in store for us for year two with the Calgary Wranglers but we are live in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios this afternoon for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems crack foundation bowling foundation walls they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation you can contact Basement Systems they're all things basementy visit dlbasementsystems.com alongside our outstanding producers Cam and Taylor this afternoon with the fan feedback line open to you at 960-960. Aaron, let's kick things off with a topic that started yesterday while you were out on the golf course. I, In all fairness, I think I were was you? home oh. when it broke, Fair and enough. then I was at the I'd golf course later. I actually didn't know what later. time your tea time was at, so around that. It, it still happened yesterday, but we'll, uh, we'll chat about this nonetheless. The Calgary Flames putting pen to paper. With 2023 first round draft selection, 16th overall from your Vancouver Giants, Samuel Hanzik gets his entry level deal sorted out, and immediately, uh, you know, the details come out with bonuses and sliding, you know, the ability to slide your entry level contract. Those sort of things start coming out. But to me, and I, I dropped this into yesterday as we were talking about it. 
to me, it was the statement from Craig Conroy that in the release from the Calgary Flames that most got uh, you know percolated my attention, and that was the quote of, uh, we entered the draft looking to add skill with size to our group, and Samuel was a textbook example. He had an impressive showing at development camp, and we were excited to watch him build on that at main camp in September. This is a team, Aaron, that since day one of the Craig Conroy era has stressed there will be opportunity, there will be spots for young players. We've talked to a few prospect analysts who maybe have Sam Honzik above a guy like Jacob Pelche, who's played in 20-plus NHL games. So I ask you, could Samuel Honzik see NHL time this season in your mind? It wouldn't surprise me, but let me preface it by I don't think he gets 10 games. I think he'll come in, and this will all depend on him specifically, because I can remember back to... To a certain degree, Sean Monahan, and he wasn't necessarily expected as a number six pick to come in and make the jump. And the same was sort of thought of of Matthew Kachuk. And those guys came in and put in a summer of work after getting drafted and moved themselves to a point where they could not be denied a roster spot. Now, that's not to say if Hansa comes in and doesn't get a spot, then he quote unquote failed in that. But I do think there's a realistic opportunity that he gets one, two, or three games just to give him that taste again of, all right, here's where here's where you need to be. We'll see you next year. But I don't necessarily think he's going to play 82 games in the NHL next season. And yes, we did hear Craig Conroy. We said heard a lot of people in the organization say there's going to be a lot more opportunity for youth this year. You've got to inject that youth in the lineup. You've got to uh, get that energy. You need to get that 23 and under energy, that buzz back in your room and on the ice. And the Calgary Flames certainly have a handful of candidates to do so. But I don't know if I'm necessarily ready to put the expectation on the number 16 pick in the 2023 draft. As you mentioned, the 10th player from the draft class, uh, first rounders anyway, to sign their entry level deals. I don't know if I necessarily expect him to just jump in right away in September. But at the same time, at this time in 2016, I was probably saying the exact same thing about Matthew Kachuk. So there's still a month and a half of training to go. There's still a month and a half of on-ice skills development that'll happen through the summer. Where he is in September, we won't know until we're actually there. But I'm not necessarily going to sit here and go, I expect this guy to be an 82 gamer next year. No, and I, I don't think that's fair to put that expectation on him either. I think I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see him play a, a game or two at the NHL level, knowing especially that it's you know this year specifically it's it's NHL or junior for him, right? And it's one or the other that that taste of the NHL and that expectation. Now, and the the main reason I say that for Sam is because everyone that we've talked to and everyone that you've talked to talks about those NHL ready aspects of his game at 18 and that's the size you know some of the hockey IQ things that get him up to there so it wouldn't stun me either if we're talking about a guy that has a good training camp and is able to to see a game or two at the NHL level this season I think also given the fact he hasn't played a full WHL season yet. right last year a good one for the Vancouver Giants but a chance this year to go back be the captain playing all situations play you know meaningful minutes for a team is going to be very hard to to deny for Samuel Honzik's development the year after maybe it's more of a conversation and I think 
given the fact that Coronado's played a, a, an NHL game, given the fact that Pelche's played, I think it's 24, but probably could have played 30 or more NHL games last season. I, I just think those guys will have a, a leg up on him, especially Pelche, who we've talked about a couple of times. Yeah. Going back to last year, even probably should have started the season with the Calgary Flames, but didn't have himself a great training camp. By his own admission. Yep. I expect that to change from a guy like Jacob Pelche, knowing what the the expectation is. So, yeah, I'm with you. I Do I think that he could push for an opportunity? Sure. Especially given the mandate that, hey, we want younger players in the lineup. We want to give guys an opportunity. But you're right. It's all going to be up to him and what he, he brings to training camp in September. How would you feel about this scenario? And I understand it's a different coach and a different sort of set of circumstances. But I wonder if he wouldn't benefit from a little bit of that Matt Coronado or Jacob Peltier treatment from Daryl Sutter, where you're up on the roster, you're not going to play, but you're going to practice day in, day out. We're going to squeeze you into a game or two here, maybe one at the beginning. Then you're going to sit for seven to 10 days. Then you're going to get another one in before we send you back to Vancouver. So you get that initial sense of what the NHL is and how far you actually have to go in your development and give you a taste of, oh, you can, it's one thing to tell a player, you need to improve here, here, and here. And the NHL, we can debate whether or not it's a developmental league. But if you can give him firsthand experience and have his eyes opened and realize, okay, well, I need to improve here, here, and here. It's very clear to me. And then you give him some time in NHL practice to work on those elements. Then you give him another one and he can see, okay, I made strides here and here. And then you send him back to Vancouver again, lead the Vancouver Giants, be the captain, play 65 some odd games and just really have him focus on those elements that he identifies himself, the, the elements that you reinforce to him, do that in the Western Hockey League and be a top five, top 10 player in the league there. I don't hate it. I don't know that it would be my first option. Okay. It just given, and here's the difference for me, is that Coronado had nowhere else to go. Right. Last year. He was limited to... He couldn't go to the AHL. Couldn't go to the AHL. He was he made his decision once he put pen to paper that his college career was over. So it was going to be work towards an NHL game if we get to that point. And who knows if the Flames were in a playoff race to the very end, if he would have gotten one. And that's a different conversation. For me, I see the value in, in that for sure. But I, I also think going back to Vancouver, if he is going to be the captain and he is going to be that every situation kind of player, if he's not going to be up, I don't know. Well, I know Vancouver would want him back as soon as possible. Well, and that's and that's the thing too, right? Is is you're going to have, uh, I'd imagine Lipinski comes to, to camp as well and for whatever kind of lookout. So I'm sure if you're the Vancouver Giants, you're saying, hey, if you don't, don't mind when you make up your decisions. We'd we'd love to know sooner than later so that we can get together. But hey, they they're under the understanding too that they're trying to develop players and get them to that next level as well. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't hate the idea, but I, I think but it you're made, not in love with it. No, I think it I think just with the Coronado situation, it made more sense. And I think I remember asking Daryl at the end of last season if he felt that those games really helped or the, that time in between really helped Matt Coronado for his first NHL game, and he certainly thought it did. So I, yeah. I, I'm not saying that it won't. I just I feel like that's harder to sell to a guy like Samuel Honzik when you're like, hey, you know, practice with us for a week, and then maybe we'll get you into one, but you know the the general outcome is going to be you're going back to the WHL. I mean, and I'm, I'm sure his bank account would love it. Sure, why not? And I think 
if given the chance for at least a short period of time, you'd rather practice in the NHL than play in the Western League. I see the benefit of it, but I can also see the let's just get him back and get him settled as soon as possible. If he was over-seasoned in the WHL, you know, if you were talking yeah. about a guy that was over-aging and was in his like third, fourth WHL run. As you mentioned, he's only got 43 games of WHL experience, yeah, plus so, four playoff games. So he's, he doesn't even have uh, a season's worth of games played at the dub level. And they're already talking about him as the captain and all this other stuff. Yeah, maybe it's just better. But again, I, I think the, the nice thing is, is he's going to give you options, right? If he's as ready in the NHL sense as in some aspects of his game, as we're told that he is, and he's used this time this summer to, you know, work on the right areas. If you've used the notes that he was given in development camp in the right ways, then I, I think he'll be an intriguing guy to watch in training camp. Now, saying this now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm, I'm going to preface it by we're probably not going to stumble upon him on the ice for the next 50 days. The next time we'll see him on ice is probably going to be Penticton. So knowing that we don't have 50 days of, of monitoring his development, if I set his NHL games over under at two and a half, you taking the over or the under? Do you think he gets more than a two-game audition? Do you think he gets any? If you had to guess today, what would, what would Logan Gordon's plan be as general manager of the Calgary Flames for the latest first-round pick of the organization? Given the way that the roster is constructed today and knowing that that could change one way or the other. Yeah, that's an important element too. I would say under. Okay. If you have as many NHL-ready bodies on this team right now as I think you do, I would be surprised if he... And, and look, injuries play into this. Uh, Coleman got suspended <laughs> from a preseason game once and... I had to miss, I believe it was his, wasn't it his first game as a flame? He had to... It was the Battle of Alberta, two up in Edmonton, miss. was it not yeah. that he missed? Yeah. yeah. Um, so all these things can happen and play into it. But I would say, you know, if it came down to, you know, like a Walker Dewar or an Adam Ruzic, I, I would hope that given the experience those guys have, they would make it difficult for him to find a spot in the opening night lineup. Well, now, would I be surprised if a reward for a good training camp was a one game to start the year. And then mm -hmm. we're sending you back yep. to Vancouver. No. So I wouldn't put it at zero, but would I put it over to, I'd no, I don't think so. Not as of right now, especially knowing he's that left shot. So a lot of those, if you haven't noticed all, but three, if you include yeah. Coronado and, and Elias Lindholm, who may or may not be there. So I would, camp yeah. Rolls. So I would say given the NHL depth they have now, I, I would probably take the under. What about you? I don't know. That's why I set that line. I mean, I, you could probably even set it at 0 0.5 or 1.5 if you want to make it a yeah, little probably. bit more competitive. Yeah. I, I can see the scenario where you want him to know how far away he is, personally. I, again, it's one thing to tell a guy you need to do this, this, and this before we think you're ready. It's another to have him go. And it's not like you want to put him in a position to necessarily fail by getting him an NHL game, but you, to a degree, you want him to realize how close or how far he is because that's you can go at one of both either way where if you get him to realize how close he is if you think that he's close and you can get him to believe he's five percent ten percent away from doing it next year that also reinforces it versus the oh I'm I'm, I'm very clearly a few steps behind here's what I, go. I think both of those can be carrots to use but again at the same time do you want to 
do you use those game one, game two, game three of an 82 game schedule to, to test him or to show him, or do you save that for later in the year? If Vancouver is out and you find a, find a means to recall him, to give him a little bit of that look. I don't know. I think it would be helpful from a development standpoint to get him in early, but at the same time, one yeah, he has to earn it. He has to show that this is something that he deserves. It's not a situation where I just gift him NHL minutes, but I think, I think it for at least the next 365 days, assuming we're at September 15th or so, I think that can be a valuable tool to showing him where he needs to take his next steps in order to make a significant run in 2024. I know this. I know with development camp, with Penticton, with the training camp, I know he's going to be one of the guys that a lot of Flames fans have their eyes on. Well, and there's going to be no shortage of chances to see him. Like you say, he's going to play all the Penticton games. I imagine he's going to get more than his fair share of uh, preseason games as well. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity to see him. Well, and we'll see just how much, you know, that young guy opportunity that's, you know, we've heard from the coach and the new GM. We'll see just, I think we'll start to get a really good indication of what that means in training camp, and I'm very intrigued where uh, Sam Honzik fits to that, signing his uh, entry-level contract yesterday with the Calgary Flames. Uh, before we get out of here in this uh, opening block, Aaron, uh, another interesting prospect signed their entry-level contract today. This one in Arizona, and this was one that had started to get Arizona Coyotes fans, yes, there are Coyotes fans out there, um, a bit stressed. This was Logan Cooley, commit to the University of Minnesota, a 2022 third overall selection, had by all accounts informed the Arizona Coyotes, nope, I'm, I'm going back to university for another year. Uh, I've made up my mind. I'm not going to come to Arizona right now. And look, we've been down this road in Calgary. The NCAA route still has the out clause at the end of it. Uh, for players to, you know, play their four years in, in college and not sign with the team that drafted them and, you know, eventually find themselves essentially as a free agent to all other 31 teams. And when you're talking about a third overall pick, you're very concerned about that potential number one center for your organization. You're very concerned about, you know, perhaps how he feels about the direction of the team. Well, apparently that's taken a, a different turn today as Logan Cooley has officially signed his entry-level contract with the Arizona Coyotes. It's a max bonus entry-level contract for him. Like I mentioned, the third overall pick last year with Minnesota, University of Minnesota in the NCAA. He put up 60 points in 39 games. Is a monster of a player looking to be the number one center of the Arizona Coyotes perhaps as soon as this year. And the interesting note in all of this, Aaron, that I've I've seen today is perhaps Logan Cooley at 19 years old and given the extra year of experience he has in the NCAA could, could be the biggest threat to Connor Bedard's potential run at a Calder Trophy. Do you think Logan Cooley's the level of prospect with an extra year of experience in hockey than... Connor Bedard, do you think he could be a legitimate Calder threat to one Connor Bedard? 
the silence is deafening there. Apologies to those listening along, wondering if I dropped off the face mm-hmm. of the earth. I, I had to give that a little bit of debate, Logo, and I think he's certainly a threat to be a finalist. And looking over Arizona's roster, and I kind of made the joke off air that if you put him with Clayton Keller and Dylan Gunther, that might be a high-performance line that is setting records in the minuses. But I think he's a legit top 10. He's unanimously regarded as a top 10 prospect in, in hockey. And most, I think, would factor him in as a top five guy. Um, Scott Wheeler, who we had on last week. Last week? Yep. Has him penciled in at six in his latest ranking with uh, five guys ahead of him coming from the 2023 class. Logan Cooley is most definitely a candidate. I think he's got a bit better of a support staff depending on where they slot him. I like the guys that they could potentially put around him better than the guys that the Chicago Blackhawks can put around Connor Bedard. But I just don't know if I could. I'd ha- I wonder what the line is and if it was enticing enough, you know, maybe you throw a dollar or two on, on Cooley and just sort of wait and see. But by no means is Cooley going to usurp Bedard as the favorite for the Calder. And I just, I want to circle back on something you said, because I don't know. Logan Cooley was so committed to going back to school that Minnesota put out a tweet saying, welcome back. And somewhere along the lines, that changed for Logan Cooley and that changed for the Arizona Coyotes. But I don't necessarily think the organization would have been that worried about losing him. In order to get that unrestricted free agent status, you have to go through all four years. And Logan Cooley was just a sophomore. So even if he returned for his freshman season, he still would need two years after that. And it would be unheard of for a top five pick to spend four years in college. So I don't know if they were necessarily too worried on that front. And I think Logan Cooley was kind of terrible pun uh, playing it cool to see what Arizona was going to do. And we saw dramatically the coyotes sort of announce we're not your dumping ground for contracts anymore. We're looking to get guys. We're looking to add to our roster to be more competitive. They went out and got a couple of free agents, Jason Zucker being one of them, to to show that they were ready to be more competitive. Alex Kerfoot, another, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that had a lot to do with Logan Cooley going, okay, you know what? I'm ready to turn pro now. This seems to be a more competitive environment. This seems to have more room for growth. And lo and behold, on Thursday, July 27th, the 180 of I'm not turning pro changes to... I'll see you September 15th. Let's get this thing rolling. Yeah, he just, you know, saying his statement that uh, the coaching staff and the moves that the team made in free agency wind up being big factors in this decision for him. And look, at the time, there was a lot of negative press around the Arizona Coyotes. It was right around the time that the Tempe bid failed for a new arena. Um, So I can understand why Logan Cooley. And and look, if you're a, a committed player young in an organization knowing that you haven't even signed your entry-level contract, things like an arena deal, those matter to you, right? If you're going to be with an organization through your, your entire RFA years nowadays, it, it means something to you to know what the process is, especially knowing that they're not at an NHL caliber rink right now. Well, you want right? to know you want to know what's really worse? As you were speaking, I, was, I just got real curious. And so 3M Arena at Mariucci, the uh, home of the Minnesota Golden Golfers, has a seating capacity of 10,000 fans. Mullet Arena? Yeah. Half. Yeah. So by turning pro, 
he will now play in a rink half the size of his college rink. I don't want. Well, I've seen the. I'm sure. I don't know if you've seen the tweet, but I've seen the tweet. Uh, Logan Cooley will return to college with the Arizona Coyotes this yeah, season, which Very is low hanging fruit for me. And even forty one games a year, I guess the rest are going to be in pro buildings. But I get why. It under, I yeah. understand why it bugged him, and I understand why it was, uh, you know, perhaps a reason for he had a great year in the NCAA. Like he, he was, was a, a beast. He was a Hobie Baker runner-up as a freshman and lost out to another freshman in Adam Fantilli, who ended up being the number three pick in the NHL. So draft. There, there was nothing wrong with him going back to university if that was the case. But if the organization has done enough, if Andre Turnier and you know Bill Armstrong in in tandem with the moves that he's made, like you mentioned, Zucker, Kerfoot, Dursey, those kind of moves have made him say, "Look, look, we're going to be more competitive." especially with you in the fold than we would be. And that'll help us push toward, you know, yep. push towards a new arena and push towards play all these good things. The sooner you come and be a part of the Arizona coyotes, the better for all of us. I don't blame the kid for, for changing his mind. And, um, when you put up as many points and were as dominant at college hockey as he was as last a, again, year, as a freshman, yeah, as a first year rookie, you don't have a ton to go back and prove. So why not take the challenge of, jumping into the Coyotes lineup, and it wouldn't stun anybody. We talked about it, you know, a little bit here already. That center ice depth for the Arizona Coyotes, if you were to tell me that Logan Cooley is going to slide into a, a 1 or 2C spot for them this year, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have trouble seeing it, and that's a hard opportunity to pass up on. No, because I think Nick Schmaltz will be down the mid- middle in that conversation. Maybe Barrett Hayden. Um, I'm just going through the depth here, and... Like there's going to be an absolute massive opportunity for Logan Cooley to play with some high end play. It wouldn't shock me at all to see him with a Clayton Keller. To be perfectly honest with you, you want to put him in a position to succeed. You convinced him that you've changed the direction enough. Wouldn't shock me at all to see him down the middle with Clayton Keller on one side and Lawson Krause on the other, for example. Even on the power play, it's going to be nasty. They're going to Gunther and Dursey and there's going to be some. There's going to be some puck movement on that power play, and it's going to be curious to see what it clicks at because, there's one, there's a lot of inexperience on it, but, two, there's a lot of high-end, young skill that won't be afraid to try things, that won't be afraid to try to thread a pass through three guys for a backdoor tap-in. Like, there's strong reason, if you're an Arizona Coyotes fan, and as you mentioned, those do exist, to be excited about this team now with the additions they made in free agency and the youth that they have and, and will put in prominent roles this year. So that's the story on two uh, exciting prospects in the NHL, signing their ELCs uh, yesterday and today in Sam Honzik for the Flames and today Logan Cooley for the Arizona Coyotes. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Uh, you can understand why the LA Angels want to hold on to Shohei Otani. The news came out yesterday. They pulled him from the trade market. And today he goes out and pitches a complete game shutout in the Angels' win over the Detroit Tigers. We'll talk all things MLB, train, deadline, and Shohei Otani, our pal Adnan Verk from MLB Network. That's next on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Green sends one to center. And Otani with his first career complete game. It's a shutout in a 6-0 win for the Angels. Yeah, so Shohei's pretty good. 
Oh yeah. Not not bad. Do you like hitting and pitching? Just the day after his team announced that, nah, we're not going to trade him. We're going for it. Shohei Otani gives him every reason to believe. Complete game shutout, as you just heard, this Thursday afternoon as the Angels walk with a 6 nothing defeat of the Detroit Tigers. And that's the perfect segue to bring in our next guest from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Very happy to welcome in our pal Adnan Verk on this Thursday. Verk, how are you, pal? I'm doing great. Logo, Aaron, good to be with you guys as always. Uh, so I guess uh, it's a pretty good uh, show of faith from Shohei Otani, uh, major league home run leader, throwing a one-hit shutout the day after his team says we're not trading him. Uh, Shohei just continues to be that that unicorn out there, Adnan. And look, you can't really blame the Angels for not wanting to let this guy go. Yeah, it's incredible, man. I mean, listen, I'm working the trade deadline. It would have been, I think, more fun if the Angels hadn't said that. We had to wait up until the day of and the, perhaps at you know, noon Eastern. They said, okay, he's off the, off the table. He's not going anywhere. But at the same time, I like the fact they kind of announced it now because then it makes sense that they're going to be making moves and they're going to be buyers and not sellers. And the fact they got Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, two excellent pitchers. Giolito in the past has proven himself to be an ace. He's been a little bit up and down this season, but I think he slots in pretty well as the number two behind Otani. Patrick Sandoval's been pretty good lately as well. So I like the fact it isn't just we're keeping Otani. We're keeping Otani and we're adding guys. We just added two pitchers and maybe we'll add somebody else as well. For Otani specifically, I'm just sure it worked now and I was watching the end of the game and I said, amazing. First complete game of his career. And, you know, recently he's actually been a little bit beat up. Three July starts, one and two, seven, seven, one ERA. Blister, fingernail issues. And his ERA actually jumped from 302 to 371 coming into that. So I love the fact he's able to have that kind of performance. He still leads the majors, 195 opponents average. Nobody's better in baseball than him when it comes to that category. And, of course, offensively, he's hitting 325, 500 on base, 825 slugging percentage with five home runs and 16 runs scored in his last 12 games. Amazing. The guy leads baseball, homers, total bases, OPS. So offensively, defensively, he does it all. And uh, another amazing performance today against the Tigers. And overall, I think it's better for baseball. Now, you have to talk yourself into it if you think the Angels are going to make the playoffs. I believe uh, fan graphs, it's much smarter than I am, have it at like 13% chance to make the playoffs. You really got to say to your, yeah, you really got to say to yourself, by the way, their opening day odds is at 49%. You have to tell yourself, Otani is going to continue to be a supernova. Moniak will continue to step up. Luis Ranjipo will continue his strong play. Zach Neto as well. Uh, Sandoval, as I mentioned. Gilito's going to fit in no problem. Trout's going to come back in September. And you also have to hope that Judge will not be the magic elixir of the Yankees. Neither offense will continue to flounder. You have to hope the Red Sox offense will start to slow down a little bit and Sale's not going to come back and their pitching will still have question marks. You have to hope the Rays' July swoon continues and it becomes a catastrophe. you got to hope Manoa doesn't turn around for the Jays and Varsha doesn't start hitting. Because those are the teams you're trying to catch. Um, so it's going to be a challenge. Like It's one thing to say the Angels have the talent to win 85 games, but you have to hope for other teams to trip up. That's where it becomes a challenge, right? So, listen, overall, I think it's good that they announced it, like I said, because now you can go add guys, and the Angels are all in. And at the very least, they're going to make their best effort to get Otani to the playoffs. Okay, so I remember talking to you last week, and we flirted with the idea, do you want to be the guy that got nothing for him, or do you want to be known as the guy that traded for him? Clearly, they're keeping him now, as as you just outlined. Is this a 
the decision to keep him because they truly believe, despite everything you just said in terms of how can they make the playoffs, is it the belief in themselves or is it they weren't able to necessarily get the return that we talked about last week, which would have been two position players, two top prospects, and you got to eat some bad contracts the other way. No, I think totally, Aaron. It's fact they think they're in it. Uh, they look at the schedule and they go, you know what? Four games out, we can do that. If it was seven games out, we can't do that. But they're like, you know what? Uh, Otani was going to actually pitch Friday night in Toronto against the Blue Jays. My buddy Dan Plesak was going to be there. Otani versus Gosman. Like, wow, I'll go that piece. Instead, he gets moved to today, just dominates the Tigers. But I think they looked at their schedule. And by the way, they have the seventh hardest schedule in baseball remaining. Oh, good. But that's still easier. That's still easier than I believe the Yankees and the Rays. So two of the teams are trying to catch. But no, listen, the deals are out there. There's no question about it. They could have got that. No doubt about it. They could have got three everyday players and three top-down prospects. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine the lunacy the teams would have done if they said Otani's available. Between the Mariners, Rays, Braves, the Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, I, all those teams would have given that and more. No, no, no. This is strictly the Angels still think they're in this thing. And I think you also figure this. When you trade a guy, I know there's this thought that you can trade him and always resign him. That doesn't happen very often. Like, that, that's exceptionally rare that you trade a guy and then all of a sudden, two months later, he goes back to your team. Once you kind of trade, you kind of cut bait. You know, rightly or wrongly, think of any sport. Once you trade a guy, he's gone because he sees something else and he moves on with his life and that's it. So I think Artie Moreno in his heart says, I think we can still win this year. And I still think I can resign him. And that's the biggest reason why he's still with the Angels. So if we take Shohei Otani off of the trade board, Virk, who goes to number one? Who's the most impactful batter or pitcher out there for teams if they want to make a splash ahead of the trade deadline? I think it's Marcus Stroman logo. The guy's a top five pitcher right now in the National League in ERA. He's been lights out for the Cubs. You know, he's going to opt out of a three-year, $71 million contract, which is a little over $23 million a year because he's going to get at least 25 if not $30 million a year. Like he, You're looking at potentially five years and $150 million for Stroman. So, He's a great ground ball pitcher. He's feisty. He can strike guys out. He's a competitor. He's a winner. You know, I think he's going to really do well wherever he goes. The other one, too, is sticking with the Cubs is Cody Bellinger. You know, he's hitting 408 in his last 27 games, 24 RBI, a lot of interest in the trade market. And he's playing really well right now for the Cubs. And the Cubs, by the way, are trying to get back to 500. First time since May 13th. They're six back in the Central, four and a half out of the wild card race. I think they're sellers. But there's a chance to make, oh, whatever, we're going to keep these guys. But I think, to me, the best pitcher available is Stroman. Best hitter is Bellinger. I don't think Verlander's available. I don't think Scherzer, Scherzer's available. Like, if the Mets were to trade those guys, you have to eat some money. Mm-hmm. And Verlander's been much better recently. One seven four ERA's last five starts. Scherzer's still kind of shaky. Gives up too many home runs. But I think if the Mets were like, we're going to trade Scherzer, you'd have to, like, eat some of that money to try to get a prospect back. And I'm not sure if – and by the way, both of those guys have no trade clauses. So I don't think either guy wants to even leave New York. So – it will be risky. Um, they are obviously big names, bigger names than Stroman. But the way Stroman's pitched this year, I think he and the, he's the guy. I think Bellinger's the guy. Is it a, a tough market to get a sense of right now ahead of the trade deadline, just knowing how many teams sort of are like the Angels who are kind of on that bubble? Like if you're Seattle, you know, you're four and a half out of a wild card, but there's Boston, New York, and L.A. ahead of you. I mean, even Cleveland at 500, you could probably convince yourself in some way, shape, or form that adding wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing. Have we seen the, the complete list of, of buyers and sellers really form itself out right now, Adnan, or are we just kind of dealing with a couple teams who we know are going to be sellers right now? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a situation where it becomes tricky because, as you said, so many teams still think they're in it. Like, before there was more wild card spots and before there was more teams in the playoffs, it was pretty straightforward. Like, there was only, you know, five spots. Even a few years ago, it was four spots, just the one wild card. So unless you really were seven or eight games in it, you just knew that you were done. Instead now, because of the third wild card spot, as we just said, teams that are under 500 still in the mix, so many more teams, I think, start to delude themselves, wrongfully so, that they're buyers and not sellers. And that they have to really smart, they go, you know what, this isn't our year. We should flip these guys. But because you're close, you talk yourself into it. And by the way, one of those teams could be you know, the Angels. That, that If you really look at it properly, they probably should just move on. But they think, no, four games back, and you start to kind of you know, convince yourself otherwise. So that, that's where I think it gets really, really tough, is that you're really not sure where you're at. Like, I, I'm looking at the teams right now in the American League wild card, and it's eight teams right now. You mentioned Cleveland. Eight teams within five and a half games. And one of those teams is the Guardians, as you mentioned. They're a 500 team. But if you're 500, you kind of feel like, well, if we turn this thing around, you know, seven-game winning streak, we're in this thing. And similarly, in the National League wildcard standings, the Padres still think they're in it. Tell us, the Padres are five games under 500. <laughs> like, yeah. to me, uh, dude, that's, you have to look in the mirror and go, dude, this isn't us. It's not going to be our year. Giants, Phillies, Reds, playoff teams. Then goes Marlins, D-backs, Cubs, Padres. There's no way the Padres make the playoffs. Are you kidding me? You'd have to catch four teams after being under 500 during the trade deadline. But guess what? They're still going to think they're in this thing. I don't think the Padres are going to sell. Like, it's, it's weird, man, because like you said, that extra wild card team, more teams think they're in it when they probably should just accept their fate. You might have mentioned a couple of the candidates already, but who's poised to make a mistake at the deadline? Well, it's interesting because I think what can happen is that, again, a team that probably isn't in it thinks they are, and that's where you make those fatal mistakes. Like the Yankees are a team that right now, and I, I think they have to make a move because clearly Brian Cashman has not done a good enough job putting this team together. And, you know, there's, there's a variety of reasons for that. We go through everything, but the bottom line is this, just moves haven't worked out, period. Like Josh Donaldson didn't work out. Uh, Rodon finally pitched well yesterday, $162 million. He did four starts. It took him four starts to get a win, and we're in late July. He didn't pitch for three months. You know, Judge is great. I don't think I'm going to dispute that, but he's been gone for two months. But some of these other moves, you know, Glaber Torres, the only guy who's hit, Rizzo's been a disaster. There's no power this year. And I love Anthony Rizzo. He's great. You know, they, they call up Anthony Volpe, and he's hitting 210. So the Yankees are a team poised to make a mistake in that. I think they might get a little risky and aggressive and make a move that they may regret. Because they're two and a half games back right now of a wild card spot. It's Rays, Astros, Jays. And again, my point of the Angels, you got to hope some team trips up. Like, the Rays have had a bad July, but they're still the top walker. They're still, like, almost 20 games above 500. You really have to hope they go in the tank or they miss the playoffs. Astros, their starting pitching, has some concerns. So you have to hope that perhaps that's where things start to go awry, that their starting pitching never gets on track. But those are defending World Series champions. And our Blue Jays, I think, are right in the mix as well because I think they will make a move. And whether or not, you know, Manoa can turn things around, I think they will go ahead and get a starter more than anything. So I think a team that could be poised to make a risky move and it's not the right move could be the New York Yankees. Uh, Before we move on to uh, some movie topics with you, Rob Manfred uh, extended as the league's commissioner until 2029 by the owners. How would you look back on on his term so far as MLB's commissioner, Adnan? 
while the runaway hit, of course, the first line of his resume so far is the fact that he's been able to, to fix the game. You know, anybody who's anybody says the game has never been better. And for that, Rob Manfred, as the commissioner, has to take the credit for it. You know, it's, it's easy to criticize guys and say, well, he couldn't have this, couldn't have that. But bottom line is this, baseball is more popular now than it's ever been before. And especially recently, it's had a great rebound this season. You know, the uh, ratings are up 12%. The pull-up attendance numbers are up 8%. I believe we're on pace to the highest attendance since 2016. So, like, we've turned back the clock here. And then I use that literally, pardon the pun, because the clock, because the pitch timers changed everything. Yeah. So I think that that influence that the owners looked around and go, wow. So Rob really believed this would be important to the sport. And guess what? It's been a unanimous success. There's not one person that goes, man, I missed those four-hour games. And I think that's, that's the biggest part of it is that Rob Manfred was able to say, hey, baseball, how can we fix this? How do we get faster? Pitch timer, that'll work. And so they made concessions with regards to the lockup. But the one big thing was, hey, we get to bring in the changes. And to the players' credit, they agreed. And I think that's the biggest thing, you know. And also, I think the other part is that lockout could have been a lot worse. I mean, we did not miss games, period. I think most people count a lockout as when you're actually missing games. We did not miss Major League Baseball games this year. And how we handled COVID. Now, again, that's a messy situation. Hopefully, we never have to go through that again. But I know 60 games felt cheap, but we still got 60 games in. To me, baseball is better than no baseball. So those are the, the, the big three for me, for Rob, is the fact that pitch timer in, unqualified success. Lockout happened but no missed games. And COVID season was risky and tough, but we still got it in. So I think that's why he's got a new five-year deal. Uh, okay, over to the Cinephile podcast, your latest edition reviews for Barbie and Oppenheimer. You spent a lot of time in the theater uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, where did you come out on the two biggest movie releases we've seen in a long time, Mr. Burke? Well, it was just awesome to see so many people at the movies. You know, more important than anything, I mean, the, the conservative estimates were for Barbie, $100 million, and for Oppenheimer, it was $50 million. And it was just great to see Barbie open at like $160 million, and Oppenheimer at $80 million. So, this, so they surpassed those industry estimates. Now, if you're not really following closely, you say, wow, so Barbie did two-to-one business over Oppenheimer. Yeah, but Barbie's also a toy, which girls have played with for decades. Like, yep. even though it's IP, intellectual property, and I love the fact it was not based on a superhero, right? This is not an established genre. This is an original film based on a doll, which Greta Gerwig, who's an excellent director with Lady Bird, Little Women, was able to put her own spin on it, subversive, et cetera. And you got big stars in Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. And the movie, for, for my view, was light and frilly in the first half. I think the second half, you go from being subversive to just being preachy and a little self-indulgent. So I didn't like the second half as much. Uh, I'm greatly amused by those people criticizing it for being too woke. That's my issue. I just think it's okay to be woke. By the way, if I told you this movie called Barbie, and with the female heroine, who do you think the bad guy's going to be? Toxic masculinity. Like, like for every guy who's like offended, like, oh, man, we came out looking bad. I'm like, well, who do you think the bad guy was going to be? Yeah, and real left like, turn. No, the movie's about a woman. <laughs> yeah, it's about female empowerment. So guess what? Toxic masculinity is going to take a hit in this one. Sorry, fellas. We're not going to come out well in this one. But I think that's, that's something that's just to be understood. <laughs> and as far as, as Oppenheimer is concerned, I, I, again, I, I think it's remarkable to pull in those numbers. Remarkable. Again, Barbie, $160 million. I'm in a movie theater with my wife and her friends. I'm wearing all pink, by the way, just to get in the character. Pink golf shirt, pink shorts. And even I'm wondering what the hell I'm doing here. I look like I'm the Pink Panther. It's all 16-year-old women. Oppenheimer is a three-hour movie about a guy whose major claim to fame is building a bomb 80 years ago. Like, that's a tough sell in 2023. 
Are you kidding with all the streaming options and the nonsense people watch? You convince $80 million worth of tickets in America to go watch that? That's amazing to me. It's such a credit to Christopher Nolan and the power that his films have and his popularity and his sway. I, I think it's a remarkable story. And thankfully, the movie was incredible, which I knew it would be. I, you know, I had zero concerns it wouldn't be great. And he knocked it out of the park. It's immersive. It's talky. It's dense. It's intricately plotted. I think it will reward multiple viewings. Uh, it's well cast. It's tasteful. It's smart. Uh, haunting lead performance by Killian Murphy. And it, it stays with you. You end up walking out of that theater thinking about it. I'm still thinking about it. The best movies are those that encourage repeat viewing and encourage you learning more about the subject matter. Like I walked out there going, I got to listen to more about Oppenheimer. So I listened to an hour podcast and then I listened to another hour podcast. And then I, I'm going to go find a documentary and learn about this stuff and see how accurate the movie was versus what was told in the story. It's an amazing movie. It's the best picture of the year so far. So uh, congrats to Oppenheimer and congrats to Barbie. It's just great to see people back at the movie theaters, which I'm sure they were in Calgary as well. Now, refresh my memory, because you watched on separate days. Is that correct? You didn't go back to back. Correct. I find that just beyond absurd, Aaron. I, uh, listen, beyond the fact I have a job and four kids, and I don't want to just be <laughs> sitting in a theater for six hours, as much fun as that would be. I, I don't understand, especially with these two movies, why you would do them back to back. I mean, there's such a paucity of great films. Why wouldn't you space it out? It's like, you know, you had a food shortage. And all of a sudden, we're like, we have ice cream cake available and bread. We'll just eat them back to back. Like, no, no, we, we've had no food. We've had no carbs for a month. Like, I'd like to enjoy one one day and enjoy one the next day. Like, why am I gorging? Why am I being gluttonous here? So, especially those films and subjects, man, again, Barbie's light and frilly about a toy with, like, pink designs. The other movie is this dark, harrowing tale and the guilt of a tragic hero. Like, why the hell do you want to watch the movies back to back? So, no, did not watch it back to back. I watched Barbie on Saturday. I enjoyed it. I thought about it. Oppenheimer I watched Sunday, and I knocked out my podcast Monday, which I encourage everyone to listen to. So which is which? Is Oppenheimer the bread and Barbie the ice cream cake, or is it the other way around for you? <laughs> Great question. I will, Yeah, I think you're right. I think that would be the bread, because you're right. The bread is like more filling and tasty, and the ice cream cake is good, but if you eat too much of it, it goes a little sour. So yeah, I think it's good. I think we're going to go with Oppenheimer, but let's not just make it bread. That sounds bland. Let's call it sourdough bread, maybe a bread bowl. Ooh. You know, you get kind of the kind you get in like San Francisco, like that. The clam chowder bread bowl. I think that, that's what uh, Oppenheimer was. Yeah, it's filling, honest. it's rich, it's satisfying, and then we'll go with Barbie as the ice cream cake, which I love ice cream cake. It's my birthday, by the way, on Saturday. I'll be having some ice cream cake, I promise you. But if you have too much of it, it's just uh, the sweet tooth goes down a little bit too much. Yeah, I feel like uh, historians might have looked back on Adnan's all pink outfit walking into Oppenheimer and. <laughs> A bit off, bro. A little off brand, but <laughs> spoiler alert: it's uh, it's it's not nearly as positive as Barbie was for for uh, for some of our viewers. So I mean, hey, that's, everyone's logo, a bit... that's such a that's such a good idea. I should have done that. I should have worn the same pink outfit to both movies. I knew there'd be the wrong movie. No, I'm not. I want to wear pink. I know exactly what I'm doing here. Uh, Verk, you're the best, pal. Thanks for hopping on. As always, we'll talk to you again soon. Hey. Logo, Aaron, my pleasure, fellas. Take care. Thank you. Adnan Vert joining us. The Cinephile Podcast, MLB Network, NHL Network. I uh, love having him on every single week here on Sportsnet today. All I can picture now is him rolling into a theater to watch Oppenheimer pink head to toe. And that's going <laughs> to stick with me for a little while. I'm not yeah. going to lie. If you didn't know what Oppenheimer was, you could like, oh, maybe that guy just really, really likes pink. And then if you kind of, you're a little bit more historically... Uh, involved, maybe you would have known that maybe that wouldn't have been the right choice. I, probably, mean, I guess you can watch right whatever time. you want, but you can wear whatever you want to watch the movie, but 
might have felt a little insane. I don't know. I don't know. I think the assumption would have been that he just came from one to the other, just given how mashed together these. Yeah, movies but that's have the become. best part is, like he said, is you could have just done that, and everyone would have assumed you came from Barbie, but you could have just said, well, "You could have just go right in off wearing this." No, this is just my regular Sunday this attire. Is, this is exactly what I wanted to wear for Oppenheimer since it came out. Uh, I appreciate uh, Adnan joining us as always on the Atlas Pizza, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, you want more on his reviews for Barbie, Oppenheimer, make sure to check out uh, the Cinephile Podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. We'll take a break, kicking off Hour 2. Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers along with you on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Man.